after we have dinner we we read the scriptures and uh, what uh, the saying uh, Matthew 1 uh, 18 to 25 and we always do the nativity so uh, we do the uh, the play or the nativity does. We always have that little play that little skit that we read from Matthew. Leyendo en Mateo 1 18 al 25 dice que el ángel Gabriel un ángel se llama Gabriel como yo este se le apareció a, a María y le dijo que iba iba a tener un hijo y ese hijo se iba a llamar Jesús y fue cuando nació Jesús nuestro Señor el Salvador nuestro Salvador like I play like Joseph and then my cousin plays Mary and my dad plays the angel because he's because, Gabriel yeah because <laughs> an, he's the <laughs> angel Gabriel and as my family we always have different babies every like year we always have that baby as you know the baby Jesus Christmas isn't about presents Christmas isn't about what we get from other people it's what we get from the Lord and that's Jesus Amigo, como impactar es, este, es no apartarnos de, del Señor, es el único Salvador que tenemos. Dios nuestro Señor, Dios dio todo por nosotros y creo que, no creo, es, es, es real que no tenemos que apartarnos del Señor. Well, let's give it up for the Garcia family. Thank them for allowing us into their home. Gabriel, you've got like the best Christmas name ever. I mean, that's so great. Thanks for letting us in your home. And if you haven't met Gabriel and Letitia and Diego, they're, they're a high school student as well, just like spend some time with them. And they'll talk to you about how Jesus hasn't just changed some things in their life. He's changed everything. And especially ask Letitia like her first steps towards meeting Jesus, how it started around here. That'd be a fun story for her. She'd love to tell you. Uh, but thanks for helping us see how you keep Jesus at the center of this, this time of year. And each Sunday we gather, we're going to kind of have a little inside look at different families and how we're trying to keep Jesus at the center in different ways and different traditions that you have. Uh, so I hope, look, hope you look forward to those things. So open up your Bibles, Romans chapter 15. If you have a Bible with you, welcome to all those joining us online as well. You can get your notes there electronically on your app if you want to capture them that way. Your online host can point you that direction. And then if you received a program on your way in the door, you can pull out your notes there as well as we enter into the message from Romans 15. I've entitled it, Receiving Hope. Receiving Hope. So if there was a sailing club in 1492 in Europe, there would have been only like one skipper of the sailing club. His name would have been Christopher Columbus. He was known for his skills on the open water unmatched. And Christopher Columbus in 1492 was convinced that there was a shorter route from the shores of Europe, specifically Spain, that there had to be a shorter route from there to India, and he decided to go across the Atlantic. He said, there's got to be a shorter route. So here's the picture of the route that he, he was convinced, okay? He said, we got to get to India in a shorter way. So he set out with his crew sailing across the open waters of the Atlantic. 
Four weeks into their journey, yes, four weeks on day 33. So picture that, over a month they've been out on the open waters. On day 33, his crew began to get a little unsettled and just thought, you know what, maybe Christopher Columbus is, you know, maybe not the skipper we thought he was. So they convinced Christopher Columbus of the following. If we don't find land within three days, we're turning the ship around. That was day 33. Day 34, nothing. Day 35, nothing. On day 36, the routine that they had established as a crew is they would sit on the bow of the ship and they would kind of turn and they would face the east and they would be kind of staring out into the darkness of the east, and they'd be waiting for the sun to rise. And that ball of light would break across the horizon one more time, which signaled day 36 had come. And as the sun began to rise, their eyes looked up near the mast of the ship, and they saw it for the first time. A land bird appeared around the mast of the ship. And then one of the other sailors pointed out on the waters, and he saw a branch with berries on it. Which signaled to them what? That land had to be in the vicinity, right? So that was the, that's what kept them going. Now, they eventually, they keep going, they eventually land on the shores of what's today known as the Bahamas. And Christopher Columbus convinced they were in India, a few thousand nautical miles off, right? So that's a discussion for another day. That'd be like a sermon for another day, how sometimes we're convinced we're headed to India, we end up in the Bahamas. Boy, that's a commentary on life, right? But today, this first Sunday of Advent, the theme is hope. And I want you to think of hope as this. I want you to think of hope as being in day 36 on the open waters of life staring off into the darkness of what you convince is an endless darkness, and that ray of light comes, and there's a land bird and a branch with berries on it. That's the Bible word for hope. And when we think about the season of Advent, the word means coming or arrival. And I'd like you to think about it, church, in the following ways that we're going to reflect for the next 24 days on certainly his first coming, that God promised the light of the world would come, and he came. And we'll remember that. We'll sing about that. We'll light candles about that. And then we're going to keep one eye towards the second coming that he promised he would come again with hopeful expectation. We will await his return. Yes, for sure, and amen, we will look to that. But today, I want to insert into your vocabulary the third coming of Advent. I want you to think of the third coming this way. How the light of Jesus comes today into our present darkness. Where do you need the light of his presence to come today? Into the ordinary spaces and ordinary places and broken places and broken spaces and the always in process, not quite done, always working through something, places in all of our lives. We've all got spaces of darkness and brokenness where we need the light of His presence to come. And today, I'd like us to work on this angle of like naming the darkness with an expectation and a hopeful anticipation that the sun will rise and the light will come. 
that you're the sailors on day 36, that the land bird and the branch with, with berries will appear. And to do that, we're going to talk about four steps of how God brings hope, how He puts hope, deposits hope into our lives. And we're going to use Romans 15 as our guide to do that. So if you have your Bibles or look on your notes here, here's the kind of anchor passage for the day. It's Paul's prayer. Some call it a benediction prayer. May the God of hope, verse 13, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody need that this morning? Anybody entering into this season of Advent say, Lord, I need you by the power of the Spirit to infuse hope into my life, to bring light into the darkness, to come, yes, that he came the first time, yes, he'll come again, but how about right here, right now, this Advent season, how is he going to come to you and to me and bring the light of his presence. So I want you to look there in the first part of verse 13. Paul says, may the God of hope. So here's the first step of how God imparts hope to our lives. I'm invited, indebted to John Piper's writings and insight on this text. He talked about how you've, you start, there's this awakening of believing that God is a God of hope. He says, may the God of hope fill you. It all starts with God. If you're hungry for hope, if you're longing for hope, it starts first with this awakening in our lives that God is a God of hope, that Him by just being God brings something to the table and that He brings hope, hope in His character and who He is and a confident expectation that goodness is coming. That's the definition of hope, a confident expectation that goodness is coming. That's not circumstantial. That, this is circumstance-independent hope. Like those sailors on the open waters of the Atlantic had no circumstantial reason to hope. Until when? Until the land bird and the branch with berries appeared. That's us entering into Advent season. We stay anchored in this reality that God is, and at the core, He's a God of hope. That we have confident expectation that goodness is coming because of His character and His promised future for those in Christ. Like this is the time of year where we let our minds go to the future that he's guaranteed for us in Jesus. That fuels something with hope. I put in your notes a quote that helps me think about my future and our future in Christ. This is John Eldridge, his quote. said, think about this. Finally, the totality of our being will be saturated only with goodness. Think of it. Think of all you're not going to have to wrestle with anymore the fear that's been your lifelong battle, the anger, the compulsions, the battles to forgive, that nasty root of resentment, no more internal civil wars, no doubt, no lust, no regret, no shame, no self-hatred, no gender confusion. What has plagued you these last many years, what has plagued you all your life, hear this, your healer will personally lift it from your shoulders. Church, that's hope with deep roots. That's hope not anchored in circumstance. That's hope anchored in his character. That's hope anchored in this future that's guaranteed and deposited for us in Jesus. That's the first step to how God puts, builds, kind of infuses our life with hope. That he awakens this belief that God is and he is a God of hope. 
And that moves right into the next step with the passage is the God of hope. He speaks words of promise. Do you see this? If you move back a few verses in the passage, this is Romans 15, 4. Look at this verse. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, underline this in your Bibles, we might have hope. So this God of hope speaks words of promise. Do you see this, the flow? So note there in Romans 15 how he just goes through. If you're looking in your Bibles there, note how Paul's, he's trying to pray hope into the church in Rome. And what does he do? He reaches, look in verse 9, he says, As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Psalm 18 he quotes. And then what else he does? Verse 10, again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Deuteronomy 32. And then look again, verse 11. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Sing praises to him, all you people. Psalm 117. He says again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. Isaiah 11. Do you see this flow? It's like the Word of God, right here, the Word of God give him the perspective of God which fueled his hope in God. He reaches for Psalm and Deuteronomy and Isaiah and those passages give him perspective that God sees on the situation that fuel his hope. So this God of hope speaks words of promise and that fuels our hope. Specifically here for this church is they're a Gentile, a non-Jewish church. So Paul's trying to pray for them, infuse hope with them because it's a tough setting for them to be in. And here he reaches for the passages that say, hey, the Savior of the world, the light has come not just for the Jews only. He's come also for you, church in Rome, for the non-Jews, for the Gentiles. And so he says that God of hope with these words of promise fuels him to pray that hope into the church. And so that's why we're always encouraging you to stay grounded in this God-breathed book Because this God of hope speaks these words of promise. And in these words of promise, it gives us perspective which can fuel that hope. And I want you to see now how these steps build. So you've got the first step, how God infuses hope, the the awakening this belief that God is a God of hope and that this God of hope speaks words of promise. And then the third step here, back to verse 13, it says, you may overflow with hope by how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So the God of hope speaks words of promise and then sends the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Listen to how John Piper put it this way. He said, hope that is based on Christ and has the glory of God for its hope for treasure is not the product of unaided human will. If you hope in Christ today and not in money or health or friends or joy or government, that hope is the work of the Holy Spirit. You did not create it. We didn't create it because we're born, we're not born with a disposition to hope in God. We're born with a disposition to hope in self. We're born with this propensity for self-reliance and self-determination and self-exalting. Like that's our human condition. You don't have to learn how to do any of that. That's called the sinful nature. You're just born into this stream to be self-reliant to be self-determined, and to be self-exalting, to put your hope in your wisdom, your strength, your ability to get through whatever it is you're going through. Like that's, the, that's like the DNA inside of us. And so Paul's saying that there needs to be this God of hope speaking words of promise and by the Holy Spirit awakening within us 
to put our hope not in ourselves, but to put our hope in God. Like when that's happening, when you're actually moving away from self-determined and self-exalting and self-reliant, and you're moving to this Romans 15 posture of hoping in God, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's something we can't manufacture ourselves. It's imparted to us. It's infused within us. Which flows right in now to the fourth step. Stay with me here. He says, at the end, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Underline this phrase in your Bibles. As you trust in Him. So this is the fourth step. So you've got the God of hope speaks words of promise, sends the power of the Spirit, and it calls forth this entrustment of our lives. I want you to think of it this way. Like before I met Christ, here's my heart. Here's my heart before I met Christ and your heart before you met Christ. If you know Christ, say, here's your heart before you met him. It's closed. It's hardened. It's deflecting. It's not open and receptive. It's here. It's self-reliant, self-determined, self-exalting. It's preoccupied not with the things of God. It's preoccupied with the things of self and the things of this world. It's closed. And then somewhere along the way, by the grace of God, this God of hope comes to you and sends a word of promise to this hardened, broken, darkened, resistant heart. He sends a word of promise sometimes. It's a friend. Sometimes he sends you a friend. Some of you remember a conversation when your heart was like this with a friend. Or maybe it's someone invites you to church. Or maybe it's you're listening to a song. Or, or maybe it's a specific sermon that you heard somewhere. You listen to a podcast. Or some sequence of events occurred where the God of hope sent a word of promise to you. And when that happens, you have an opportunity. This, this heart right here can respond one of two ways. You can kind of deflect and diffuse and like I call it the spiritual Heisman where you just kind of push away. You just say, you know what? No. No. And you just kind of push and you resist and you say, no. That's one way. Now the danger with a hardened heart that keeps receiving these words of promise, this God of hope coming through a multiplicity of ways, is each time you go spiritual Heisman on it, you know what happens there? It just gets a little bit harder. Kind of another layer around it. A little more callous, a little thicker around, just harder. That's one way. And that's dangerous ground to get to because the things that maybe you were sensitive to, all of a sudden you get a little desensitized to. It's dangerous ground. But then some of you remember like I remember for me in the latter part of my teen years, it was like my heart was closed, it was deflective, it was hardened. I remember the first conversation I had about sin. I told the youth pastor who was talking to me about sin is I 100% wasn't a sinner. I had no idea what that term meant. But it didn't sound good. I'm like, I'm not a sinner. You know, it was, just, it was just heart closed. I wasn't interested in conversation about sin. But he just stayed in the trenches, kept loving me, kept talking to me. Send God just by his grace, send word of promise, word of hope, working, working. And then eventually it comes, right? By his grace, the heart now receives that word of promise and then it comes to life. Where you receive that word and like the dry bones in Ezekiel 37 live like Lazarus walking out of the tomb, rise, where this heart just like was close, boom, just comes to life. And here's what Romans 15 says, the evidence of a heart that's come to life is there's this active entrustment 
of our lives to this God of hope and His words of promise and reliance on the Holy Spirit. This thing beating alive is that. That's how you know. It's one of the things. The conduit of hope and joy and love and peace that we're going to be discussing all month, the conduit of that is this, active entrustment of our lives to this God of hope. That you say, I'm going to stop relying on myself and my wisdom, and I'm going to purposefully depend and rely on God. That's the heart that's come alive. You can't do that in and of yourself. The Spirit, you can't bring this hardened heart to life. The Spirit, to bring it to life. And breathes in you, says, live, live, live. And then things come to life inside of you. The God of hope, speaking words of promise, sends the power of the Spirit. Things come to life. And the response of this active, alive is an entrustment, a surrender, a yielding. And so I wonder today, and the question I want us to reflect on for the week is, I want us to think specifically about those places of darkness in all of our lives and where we need the light of Christ to come. I want you to join the sailors on day 33, 34, 35, and the morning of 36, looking out over the eastern sea. And just as surely as the sun rises each morning, which I spent some time this morning just parked out, not over the open waters of the Atlantic, over the gravel (laughs) of the parking lot, and I just sat in the darkness this morning early. And I just stared at the eastern sky, and I waited, and I waited. The interesting thing about a sunrise rhythm, right, like we're not in charge of when the light comes. Like I could have been sitting there at 3 a.m. saying, Lord, bring bring the light to come. It's not coming until 6.30, 6.45 or whatever. But isn't that a good, I think that's a great picture of like the light will come. He promised it will come. But we're not in charge of when, and generally it's a little bit longer than we thought it was going to be. It's not day 33, it's not day 23, it's day 36. But then that bright glow begins to break through the horizon, and the light of His presence comes into the darkness. And I wonder if what I did this morning might be like a spiritual practice for some of us during Advent. For those of you morning folks, what if you just spent some mornings during Advent just sitting in the darkness, awaiting the sun to rise, and staring over the eastern horizon and waiting, and then watch. So this is the posture of Advent. We wait, we watch, and we expect that the light will come. And as surely as the sun will rise, the light of His presence will come, but probably not on our timetable and in our way. So what are those places right now in your own heart where you're waiting, hoping, expecting, looking, longing for the light to come? And if you were honest, you're just, you're confused about it, you can't see it, right? Some of you have been battling cycles, whether it's depression or anxiety in ways where you just go, Lord, I can't see how your light's ever going to come into that. For others, others of you, it's a marriage and family dynamic where you can't see how the light of presence his presence can come into that. For others, it's job and 
career and money and finance? How is it going to come for others? You're dealing with a report from a doctor and a condition of your body. How is the light of your presence going to come here? Name the specific places where you long for his light to come and meet you there. And then sit with those sailors on the bow of the ship, staring out over the eastern horizon, and wait and expect and hope. For this month, God says, look, there's the land bird up by the mast. Look out. There's the branch with berries on it. The sun will rise and the light will come. So worship team, why don't you come up? I've got one final story, kind of transition us to our last song. Many of you Lord of the Rings fans in here There's a scene at the end. It's called the return of the king. The ring's finally destroyed. Mount Doom, this is the scene on Mount Doom. And Sam, Sam wakes up and he's surprised. Like, he's surprised he's alive. (laughs) Remember this scene? So the ring's destroyed. He goes, I can't believe I'm alive. And then he turns to Gandalf. He says, Gandalf, I can't can't believe I see you. So here's the scene. Gandalf. I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Some of you are coming into Advent right there. Like, have you had those mornings where you wake up and go, I thought I was dead. Like, I didn't think I was going to make it through yesterday. Have you had those? Or maybe it's your today. Lord, how am I going to make it through today? You're you're right here. Listen to what, this is what, this is the question Sam asked. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Wait, isn't that a great question? Is everything sad going to come untrue? That's an Advent question right there. What's happened to the world, Sam asked. And here's Gandalf's response. A great shadow has departed. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music, like water in a parched land. And he listened. The thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. Church, that's Lord of the Rings' way of speaking to Advent hope. That's the invitation to look up for the land bird that's circling the mast, to look out for the branch with berries on it, and to wait and to expect that the light of his presence can break through that horizon of darkness. Not just the first time, hallelujah, he came as the light of the world. Not just the second time, he will come again. But today, this month, this Advent season, Jesus, come. Come and infuse me with hope. Infuse me with peace. Infuse me with a joy that transcends circumstance and with a love that just overflows. Is everything sad going to come untrue? We can with confidence say this time of the year reminds us yes in Jesus' name. Yes. And that church
Father, so many circumstances, so many situations, just right now needing an infusion of spirit-birthed hope. You just breathe, O breath of God, hope. Lift up our eyes to see. Help us to look out into the darkness and anticipate and expect and wait for the light to come. Oh, come with the light of your presence. Come into some spaces that this day, this hour, this moment, we just can't see and we don't understand. Take this Advent season, Lord, and, and meet with us. And our posture is one to simply receive. So today we want to receive your light and receive your hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name.